How do we have power? Yes. Well, is this mic going to be needed over here? Okay. Well, before we get started this evening, then, we have, I guess this is the title, Kids and Parents Sing Special Music. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. So, here they are. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night to do according to all that is written thereon. For then you shall make your way prosperous. For then you shall have good success. Be of good courage. Be not afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go.
you to know that we, our Mr. Armstrong established many decades ago and worldwide that we wouldn't applaud special music or events of that kind. We're singing to God and people don't need the applause. But there was one caveat there and that was we would applaud the children because it's a little different situation. So I just want all you adults to know that we were we were clapping for the kids, not you. <laughs> but that's fine. Uh, Gloria is working on getting a little more movement and clapping or stomping the feet or showing um, some movement and some. Uh, even extra things in the music that we have been perhaps pretty uh, Lutheran in in the past, if you will. Uh, there are so many scriptures that talk about singing and dancing before the eternal. And there's a, there's a difference there and I don't know that we always know how to go about it. We don't want to be a bunch of Pentecostals screaming and shouting and waving our arms and rolling on the floor. Uh, nor do we want to be so stoic and staid that we are afraid to move at all. So, all through the Bible, it talks about singing and dancing and coming before God with joy. And the Jews do quite a bit of that uh, with some of their singing and the dancing they do. Uh, maybe picking up on some of the scriptures, but I, I think that we need to cozy up to the idea of those things. So she's having the kids do a little more stomping or clapping or moving and dancing and so on. And uh, within whatever balance that is, I, I approve that and think that it's, Biblical, uh, to be a little freer with ourselves that way. And, and it's harder in one sense, because if you're playing before an audience, you feel self-conscious and so on. But natural movement and singing and dancing or twirling is, it's Bible. And if it's Bible, it's okay. Uh, then we have to consider the bounds and 
Satan's taken it way past, I think, what God would want with the Pentecostal stuff. I mean, we used to go and look inside their windows at the church for entertainment when I was a little boy. Uh, but uh, I want to encourage that as well. And we'll see, you know, how it fits and how far it goes and how much we ought to do within scriptural parameters, whatever that is. But joy and singing before God. I mean, David sang and danced both when the ark came back. And he didn't get in trouble with God. He got in trouble with his wife. <laughs> so, that's the way it goes some days. But I don't think he was paying any attention to the maidens that might be around. He was singing and dancing to God. Because he was so happy about the ark. Now, he had an eye for a maiden, you know, about Bathsheba and all that too. But, that was not what was going on that day. He was rejoicing before God. And if he was wearing his kilt, maybe it hiked up a little. I don't know. Uh, but it was enough that his wife got up tight that he might be doing that for the girls. But God seeing his heart didn't give him any problem for that at all. So there's there's some room there, I think, that we can loosen up a little bit and sing and dance before God and, and with joy without it being an offense to him, but actually being a delight to him. I think what was just done here was a delight. It certainly was to us, and I, I think it was to him as well. Okay, I'm going to uh, go on into this tonight uh, where I left off last time I spoke. And I'm going to try to do like Nelson did and cut it somewhat short. I don't want the evening to get too late. We've got the dinner coming and, and all. So uh, let's go back to uh, the book of John and down to chapter 20. Since this is the Passover and we've been emphasizing a great deal upon Christ and what he did for us, uh, to continue this narrative here with the story that occurred beyond what we read at Passover, it's a good thing for us to review. So in John 20, he says, The first day of the week comes Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark. Uh, you'll see that it was dark enough in this passage in the context that they couldn't see and couldn't recognize people. So it wasn't a sunrise service, uh, as Protestants, Catholics uh, like to have their Sunday worship Sunday. And that was never the case. And no one was even keeping Sunday when this happened. It was, I mean, you were, the Jews were keeping Saturday, the seventh day. And uh, the Gentiles around were doing whatever they do. The Arabs now keep Friday, some of them. And I don't know what they were doing back then, but there wasn't anybody keeping Sabbath as far as, I mean, Sunday as far as I've ever seen. Uh, was it 325 or 329 A.D., somewhere right in there, when the Catholic Church changed it from Saturday to Sunday and mandated that the church would do it on Sunday, even though Christ and the disciples kept Seventh-day Saturday, and it was kept from the time he left 
until the Catholic Church changed it. With no authority from here, the only authority that they try to use is that uh, Christ told Peter uh, he would give them the keys and that whatever he bound on earth would be bound in heaven. And the Catholic Church took that as their authority to do anything they wanted. They didn't have to be in the Bible. Now, that's not what was being said there in Matthew. What Christ said, better translated, is, I'm going to give you power, but whatever you do, it had better be done as it is in heaven. So you can't bind and loose anything you just willy-nilly want to. It better be what's approved up there, or disapproved up there, and that's the limit of your authority. You can't change Scripture. Uh, John even said, the Scripture can't be broken. And Christ made it very clear in Revelation 22 that anyone who takes from or adds to it will not be in the kingdom of God. That's a pretty serious penalty for adding to or taking from Scripture. And yet that's what the Catholics did, not understanding what Christ was telling Peter. And that was the wrong Peter anyway. <laughs> Simon Peter was a disciple of Christ, and this other one is the one who started the Catholic Church about the same time after Christ had started it, and then the Catholic Church came from him. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Simon Magus. Uh, but the, the title was Peter, or Peter. And Acts 8 deals with him. He came and wanted to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter. And Peter, in literal uh, words, said, go to hell with your money. Uh, so that's, Simon Magus went out and started the Catholic Church after that, doing his own thing because he couldn't get the disciples to do what he wanted them to do. And... Uh, they misused that power and that authority given to the ministry because a certain amount of power was given to the ministry, which we'll see tonight, in fact. But nonetheless, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb where he was laid while it was still dark. It wasn't at sunrise service. It wasn't at Easter egg day or anything of that nature. Uh, there's nothing about Easter in Scripture. It's Passover uh, is, the, is the correct word there, not Easter. Or Ishtar <laughs> is what it means, uh, pagan god. Anyway, uh, she came to the sepulcher and sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, he's speaking, John speaking of himself again, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So it's still dark, uh, early, very early Sunday morning, and he was already risen, he was gone. He wasn't, didn't rise at sun, sunrise on Sunday. He was well gone. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. 
<laughs> I got there first. And came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. He, he looked in, and then he kind of backed off. Then comes Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher. Peter's uh, personality was a little different than John's. Uh, Peter was a bull in a china shop, <laughs> in a way. Uh, John was of a gentler, easier personality in that sense. So he went in and sees the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now, it might have been becoming a little light at this point. Those garments were probably white linen, so they'd show up for one thing. But it was still fairly dark, because you'll see after this, they still didn't recognize who they were talking to. So it wasn't sunrise by any means. Uh, so he came in, well, wait a minute, uh, it was in place by itself, then went in also that other disciple, John, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. He was gone. <coughs> that he believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They still didn't recognize that he was going to rise, be alive, and be gone. Just like Mary Magdalene, they must have thought, hey, somebody opened the sepulcher and took him away. Why did they do this? So then the disciples went away again to their own home. Where else would you go? I mean, you came, you looked, you saw he's gone. Uh, well, we might as well go home. <laughs> uh, wherever he is, he is, and it's still dark. Let's just go home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now, I think it's very clear from other scriptures that Mary Magdalene and Christ were close. Uh, he didn't marry. He was not supposed to, obviously. I think that should be clear to anybody. He wasn't, as God on earth, he wasn't supposed to marry and have children because then people would claim they were kin to Jesus, and some of them do anyway. There are quite a few different ones, including a lot of Mormons, who believe that he was not resurrected, uh, but stayed dead, and that he had married... Well, which one you talk to? One to four wives, anyway, maybe more. Uh, and that he was reincarnated later on. He's not coming back in glory, but he's been reincarnated around here somewhere uh, as a personality. Now, that's just straight-out demonism and Satanism uh, is all that is. So that doesn't come from God at all. So he wasn't to marry, but I, I have a feeling if he had asked Mary Magdalene, she'd have probably said, yeah, based on what the Scriptures all say. But it wasn't going to be that way. And, and he wasn't supposed to do that, so he didn't. But she, in that sense, was more emotionally involved 
than Peter and John were because they went on home and she stayed there. This was uh, an emotional thing maybe more for her even than for them. So she stayed and wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and sees two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. <coughs> now apparently, <coughs> Peter and John had not seen the angels there. They appeared sometime from the time those two looked in and saw the napkins until she looked in, because they were to have something to do with her, not at that point with Peter and John. So she had a particular place here in this uh, situation. So, they were sitting there, <clears throat> and they say to her, Woman, why are you crying? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So she was very upset that he was gone, and she didn't know where, and was feeling very insecure, frightened, and frustrated. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So it was still fairly dark. She couldn't recognize him. I keep making that point because it wasn't sunrise service. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weep you? Whom seek you? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you laid him, and I will take him away. I, I want to take him, and wherever you put him, and put him where he ought to be. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She recognized that. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni which is to say, Master. So at that point, she recognized his voice and turned to him. And Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and you and your Father and to my God and your God. So he had not been, he had died, he had been resurrected, our sins were no longer on his back, but he had not been to the to heaven yet to be approved of the Father. So he didn't want anybody touching him until that approval had been laid on him. So he says, go tell the disciples you saw me, just don't touch me. I'm sure her first emotion was to grab him and give him a hug. <laughs> what are you? What are you doing here? You're dead. And I, I can imagine that would have been the first thing. But he said, touch me not. I've got to go to the Father first. Then you could, but not yet. So she came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, that had been Sunday evening, being the first day of the week, let's understand it's Sunday, first day of the week, that rotation has never changed. Sunday's still the first day of the week on any calendar you want to look at. Seventh is Saturday. 
So they changed the day they worship, they just never changed the rotation of the days, which will be utterly confusing. <clears throat> okay. Uh, first day of the week when the doors were... What am I reading here? Yeah, in the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So, he had died. He'd come back. But here they were Sunday night, still in terror of the Jews. So, they had the door shut. And then came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. So, he walked through the wall. <laughs> the doors were shut. Jews couldn't get in. And then he appeared among them, stood in the middle, and said to them, Peace be unto you. Now the angels had had the same thing. Uh, we had people standing in the entrance to the uh, sepulcher. The angels weren't there. And then when Mary came in, suddenly they were there. So they didn't come through the drywall, they came through the rock. Uh, spirit beings have the capacity to do that. And there are people who have seen demons and demon apparitions at times where they actually came through the wall. Uh, they saw it happen. A generally pretty scary episode in their lives. I don't want to see that. I, I just don't want to see it. I want to get to the point someday where I can do that. Instead of having to go around the world, you just kind of go right over through and there you are. Anyway, he stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. They weren't used to seeing people walk through walls either. You know, this, this would have been shocking. And when he had so said, he showed to them his hands and his side. Nail holes, uh, sword pierced side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. Repeated it. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, he had just been a, through a time of terrible trauma, worse than any man has ever gone through. They had seen this whole thing, been part of it, were scared. So, he says, peace. We've had trouble here. Now, peace. Because I came and died for your sins, and I'm resurrected so that you also can be resurrected. Peace. <laughs> Those are happy words to hear that. And when he had said this, he breathes on them and says to them, Receive you the Holy Spirit. The next verse is very in interesting. The Holy Spirit had been breathed on them. They weren't quite converted yet. The Holy Spirit was not yet in them in terms of begettal. That didn't occur until Pentecost. But he breathed the Spirit on them so that the Spirit was with them, even though yet not a part of their mind and heart. And he said, Whosoever sins you remit, 
they are remitted to them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now that's quite a bit of power he conferred right there upon those disciples soon to become apostles. Now does that mean that the ministry then is the ones who forgive sin and God just follows their lead in that? No, it doesn't mean that he gave them all authority to uh, forgive or not forgive sin. But let me use the example of Paul. Remember when the man was uh, there in 1 Corinthians, was uh, living with his, we think probably mother-in-law. Not just sure exactly what it was, but it was an incestuous wrong relationship that was clearly not man, woman, and marriage, but uh, a perversion of that. We have all different kinds of perversions today. Um, boy, there's probably never been as many as we have now. But that was so wrong. So Paul said, put him out. Don't let him be part of the congregation because this is a public thing and everybody knows it. And in some respects, we're cheering him on. These were Corinthians, remember. And in Corinth, anything went. In Las Vegas, anything goes. There are certain places where sin is looked upon as not sin. If it happened in Vegas, it stays in Vegas. End of story. Don't even talk about it. We had fun. But you don't tell them what kind of fun you had because that's supposed to stay in Las Vegas. And you aren't supposed to send pictures home to everybody there to tell them what was happening in Las Vegas. So the Corinthians were of a very liberal, immoral mind that way. So they didn't care. And they actually thought it was kind of cute. And Paul said, because of this, put him out. Don't fellowship with him. Uh, don't eat with somebody who is in that kind of a situation. Uh, because if they're outwardly sinning and people know it, uh, then that affects them. So you shouldn't even eat with them. Put him out. Have nothing to do with him. Disfellowship, in other words. And he had the authority to do that. Now, in that sense, he did not remit that man's sin because he was still in the sin. He was still living it. And he didn't hadn't made any thought at all, about stopping the situation. So Paul said, his sin remains, essentially. And then, after the man was disfellowshipped and gave up that illicit relationship, repented of it, then Paul wrote them back and said, now allow that person to come back because They'd gone from totally liberal, letting him do what he wanted to do, and approving of it. And then after Paul said he's sinning, uh, when he did come back, he said, oh, now he's a sinner. We don't want anything to do with it. But Paul was telling them in that second letter of Corinthians, when he wrote back about it, he quit doing it. He quit sinning, so now you should accept him back. 
So it's a curse. He says his sin is not remitted. It's not forgiven. It's continuing. And he had the authority to put the man out of the church, disfellowship him, until such time as he repented. And then Paul remitted his sin. So he's not sinning anymore, except him back. So he gave the ministry, and, and this could be, I can make a sermon or two out of it with different scriptures, easily. They had the authority to do that. And Christ first laid that on them right here in John. That they had something to say in it. And if they held up, let's say somebody came to counsel, and they had a particular sin <coughs> that should be kept away from the congregation. The ministry is given the authority the power to set them aside because of what it can do to the rest of the flock. I mean, all churches pretty much have some form of this. Uh, Catholics do, Methodists do, Baptists do, shunning, some of them call it, disfellowshipping, whatever. But if you have somebody who has leprosy, in the Old Testament, God said, put them out of the camp until they either die or they're healed of the leprosy. And they had a process to go through whereby God would heal the leprosy, then they could come back. So if a communicable disease, a communicable sin, uh, it's all looked at the same way. If somebody needs to be there who has the authority to say, no, that one cannot come back until that problem is solved. So they had limited power. Now, if the person repented, God can forgive anywhere along the way, but the ministry is the one who has to make the decision in counseling with them uh, or, or observing them. You've changed. You're welcome back now. And if they are welcomed back, then they should be received with gladness, with joy. Here's a sinner brought to repentance, and we know the angels in heaven shout for joy over one sinner brought to repentance. But the Corinthians says, oh no, you're tainted now. No, not the right way to go about it. But that power is there. Some people don't like it. That that power is held by the ministry. But God has a human here to help adjudicate those situations. has nothing with, to do with eternal forgiveness or eternal life. That's all, that's totally all God's ballywhack. But to separate or not separate someone because of a sin, he gave to uh, that authority to the church or to the ministry of the church. And here it is, right here in the scripture. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He was off doing something else, wasn't in the room that night, worried about the Jews. <clears throat> the other disciples there have said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Really? <laughs> you tell me you've seen the Lord? Sure, right. Uh, no, I don't think so. He said to them, except I shall see in his hands 
the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I mean, he'd seen the nails driven in. He'd seen the sword slice him open and all his intestines falling out and his blood. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, in the room, and Thomas with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Third time he says that. He wants peace between himself and us. He doesn't want warfare. He doesn't want alienation. He wants peace. Our sins cut us off from him. That's why we're spending these days uh, putting sin out of our lives. We should do that, of course, every day of the year. But for these days of unleavened bread, it's a specific thing, uh, a formal thing, for a certain period of time so that we don't forget about it. Then says he to Thomas. Now, Thomas hadn't been there. How did Christ know all this? Well, he can see and hear everything. Reach here <coughs> your finger <coughs> and behold my hands. And reach here your hand and thrust it into my side <coughs> and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Now he believed. Uh, he'd seen the holes, he'd seen the slice scar, I suppose. Uh, he had been healed by then, obviously, but uh, God didn't heal him so that the holes could not be seen. There was scar tissue, there was scar tissue where he had, his insides had been cut out. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet have believed. You and I haven't seen him. We have read the story. We have seen things he's done. We see all around us the creation he made. And we see some healings. We see some answers to prayers here and there. And we believe without having seen him and the stars. Blessed are those who believe anyway. They don't have to have that much. <clears throat> and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Well, I said I'd cut it short, and that's about 50 minutes. Not quite that much of this with singing, but I think we'll stop there for tonight and go have our dinner. <laughs>